0: house. It's good to see you here. I'm so glad to see your faces here before us. And uh, those of you who are joining us by live stream, we're glad that you're joining us too. We just praise God. You know, the Holy Spirit, he's here in this room. He's right there in your kitchen or your living room, whatever you're watching. He is omnipresent. That's one of those good things about God. Amen. He is all over the place, and we love him. Hallelujah. Uh, If you're one of our guests today, I want to say thank you for joining us today, and we uh, welcome you. We hope you just sit back, relax, and enjoy the presence of God and whatever he has in store for you. Yeah, here At this church, we, you know, we say we just kind of walk in the door. It's a good idea to just surrender our agendas to whatever God has in store for you, right? That's just the best thing. It's the, that's the best thing. Just surrender your agenda to whatever God has in store for you because he knows best. He knows what we need before we know it. Amen. Amen. Hey, we've got some uh, fun stuff fixing to happen this week. On uh, Friday, the men are going on their men, G-Men's intense camping trip. Get it? Intense. So, hey, watch this right here. Thank yeah. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna have fun. All right. So the guys are going up Friday afternoon, spending the night Friday night, Saturday all day Saturday. There's all kinds of cool stuff planned. So guys, if, if I mean if you want to have a, just a nice little getaway with some other guys, maybe even make a, a new friend or two. Twenty-five bucks. That's a pretty cheap way to go do that, and uh, it's gonna be really great. They've planned a great weekend. I, I'm really excited about it. Um, Today also is our last day for our Bottles for Life program. This is, uh, we, we participate with Pregnancy Assistance Center North every year. Uh, they have this this great idea where people just take home these little baby bottles, fill them up with their their change and their, their dollar bills, whatever they got during the week, and bring them back to church. And you guys have been doing that for uh, most of the month of February. And so today is the, the final day for that. You guys brought them back. And so we just wanted to take a, Uh, a minute and let's pray. Let's pray uh, for the ministry that they do and for uh, that God would just bless the giving that you guys did towards this and, and just do a miracle out of it. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are the God, you are the Jesus who sees every single one of us. You see those of us at our, at our highest moment and at our lowest moment, those of us who call out to you, those of us who are, feel like we're between a rock and a hard place or we're in trouble, and I thank you, Lord God, that this ministry, Pregnancy Assistance Center, is just such a Jesus-y organization who reaches out to women who are, find themselves in need. They need, they're desperate for guidance. They're desperate for uh, a plan Lord God, and that this is a wonderful organization, Lord God, that uh, not only helps the women, but also stands up for life, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, that you are the God of life, and so we thank you for that, Lord God. That we, we live in a culture of death, and we thank you that you are also helping us, Lord God, to be your representatives in this, in this world, the representatives of your kingdom, Lord God, to stand for life. Lord God, from conception to the grave, Lord, may we be the people that that stand up for that, that not only give towards it, but may we be the people who who uh, help others when we see them in need, when we see women, whether, uh, single women or, or unwed teenagers or whoever they are, Lord God, that we be the people to come to them not with condemnation, but with love, Lord God. And we thank you for that, that you have called us to be that voice, those hands and feet of Jesus, Lord God. We praise you for that, this opportunity. Lord God, all the giving of, the, of our people, Lord God, though it is just a small part of, of all the giving that is coming from all over the community, we thank you, Lord, that you do a miracle of this. Just do a loaves and fishes miracle on this, Father God, and may it bless so many women and so many babies, Lord God, and so many families, Lord. We praise you for that. We praise you for it. Thank you, Lord God, for allowing us to be a voice for life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. Well, it's good to see everybody today. And uh, thank you so much for the birthday wishes and uh, the, um, the song. That was awesome. That was awesome. I, I, I have to admit, being sung, Happy Birthday too. Uh, if, if you're kind of an awkward person like me, that is like the most awkward 45 seconds of your life. Because, you, you know, you, I just want to join in. I feel like I need to join in and sing it with you. Um, that doesn't really make sense, I know. So, uh, but it, it, it's, uh, it's wonderful. And thank you for allowing me to uh, be your, your, uh, one of your pastors here at this church. It's a great honor. And I can't believe uh, 50 is here for me. 50 doesn't even make sense. I was just a punk teenager like a few years ago, uh, Ms. Debbie remembers those days very well. She was my youth leader. And um, yeah, and it seems like it was yesterday, but uh, God does miracles right here. If you're wondering, well, can God turn that person in my life around? Yes, he can. He can. Hallelujah. Well, um, let's get into to our message this morning. I'm excited because I believe that God's given me something today that, uh, to put on my heart to set people free. And isn't that really the goal? Isn't that really the goal, to get set free from whatever it is has us tied up in knots so God can, can release us, uh, we can actually live the life that God intends for us, that he, that he wants us to live, to be more like Jesus, to walk and talk like Jesus, to, to be a blessing to, to the world. So we kicked off uh, the season of Lent last week. Uh, by asking, what if we didn't just think of Lent as the time to, you know, sacrifice like chocolate or Xbox or whatever it is you, you sacrifice for a few weeks? What if we actually fasted hopelessness and like for good, like hopelessness? That's something that we can all get on board with. That's like brings liberty. Uh, so we talked about that last week. This morning, we want to explore, is there anything else that we, we can leave behind for good? Uh, what are some hurtful, destructive elements in our lives that maybe we can ask God to help break its power over us. Uh, how can we live with less fear and more faith? So I believe today's is gonna be a good one. And so let's turn, our, if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. Uh, the book of Exodus, it's in the, the part of the Torah, the Jewish Torah, those first five books of the Old Testament. It tells the story of a whole nation uh, they called the Hebrews, or what they became later known as, we think of them as the Jews, uh, who have been set free from slavery in a foreign land. And they are journeying back home to the land of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, what they call the promised land. So they're on this journey. But before they reach the promised land, they find themselves in the land of the in between, you might say, the, the wilderness. They're in between promise and slavery. Anybody ever been there? In between the land of of slavery and promise. And so they're hungry and God hears their complaining and he's provided them with this mysterious thin flaky stuff. Uh, It says in verse 15, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. The Hebrew word manna, which we're familiar with, manna literally means what is it? That's because that's what they saw when they walked outside that first morning. What is this? And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person. Omer is like about a two liter. Think of a two liter bottle of Coke. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So just imagine this. I mean, imagine coming out. You're in the wilderness. There is no food. You don't have you know, you're not raising crops because you're nomads. You're, you didn't bring any animals from Egypt because they would have died. You're going out into the wilderness. And so you literally have nothing except what the Lord provides. And you walk out in the morning and all over the ground like dew is this thin, flaky white stuff. One of the scriptures says that it was sweet like honey. And it's just amazing, amazing. It says verse 17, So the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much. Some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses because they had taken a Dave Ramsey seminar, and it seemed foolish not to have some savings. So they kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots, and it began to smell. So God's people are hungry, And he gives them enough provision for the day. Enough provision for the day. Now, some of them are in the camp that they're probably a lot like us. They're like, I got to have some security. I mean, I don't know if this is going to show up in the morning. I've got a family, you know, to take care of. I have to have some sense of control over my life. I have to know... But I'm going to have enough for tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. So I can't just live for today. I need to stockpile a little bit. And so they, they needed guarantees. And the next morning, sure enough, if they stockpiled any of the manna, what happened? It was filled with lovely maggots and it smelled bad, apparently. This, this stuff is sweet, but apparently has a short shelf life. It does not keep long. So God says, I'm going to give you enough for today, Period. And then tomorrow, what's he gonna do? I'll give you enough for tomorrow. Period. Let's turn over to Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter nine, there's a it's a parallel account of the same story, so we're kind of in the same time frame has some other stories it tells. In verse 15 of Numbers 9, it says, on the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony was set up, the cloud covered it. So as they're walking, they're living all these years in the wilderness. This is where they worship. This is the tabernacle. A cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. So at nighttime, it appears as a pillar of fire. Uh, Verse 17, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. That meant it was time to go. Uh, Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, the Israelites set out. and his command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Verse 19, when the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites obeyed the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command, they would encamp. And then at his command, they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, one night. When it lifted in the morning, they set out. Okay, so, so when it comes to, we see when it comes to God's provision, you're often given enough for the day, and that's it. And it seems like I remember somebody really important even once praying, God, give us our daily bread. Give us this day, our daily bread. Oh yeah, was Jesus. that was Jesus. That was an important prayer. Give us today our daily bread. And in Numbers, we see that God's direction, the way his direction works is often the same way the cloud moves, we're going to move. If it stays, we stay. So when you're a Hebrew in the wilderness, you're either in the camp or you're moving, and the only clue you get is whether that cloud, which looked like a cloud in the daytime, and it looked like a pillar of fire at nighttime, but whether it's moving or sitting. It represented the presence of God. It represented the leading of God. This is in time before we had the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So this was the you know, what we would think of as the leading of the Holy Spirit, but th- it was, is in this very visible form. So imagine this. There's no six-week plan. You don't have anything on your calendar scheduled, you know. Uh, no, there's no long-term agenda anybody can make, no schedule. You never know. Sometimes you might be there for days or weeks. Other times, you make up your camp in the evening, and you end up moving out in the morning. You just never know. All they're given is direction for the next step, and that's it. The next step. If the cloud moves, we move. If the cloud stays, we stay. In our life, in our walk of faith, our walk with Jesus, we're very com- we're typically given instruction for the now. And this goes against, I think, a lot of our psychology because we tend to think, it's just the way we're kind of wired, we tend to think whatever's happening now is kind of like forever. This is for good. For good or for, good or for bad. If things, if times are good, we're like, yeah, finally, I made it to the good times and this will be this way forever. Or if times are bad, we tend to get in despair and think, oh, I'm, I'm doomed to this forever. But what we're given is usually instruction for the now. And, and, and there's no guarantees what is in store for tomorrow. Or when he's going to, God's going to move you in a new direction. You're, you're only given enough guidance for the next right step. That is like a pretty good way to define the life of faith. You're given guidance for the next right step. The next right step. Turn a couple pages over with me to, to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12 tells a story. There's this uh, Moses has a sister named Miriam. Now, Miriam, she is the one who dances on the beach at the Red Sea. Uh, she writes the songs everybody sings. She's the worship leader with all the hits. She's got all the followers on YouTube. Miriam is the one everybody loves. We sing all our songs on Sunday morning. That's Miriam. When she leads worship, the crowd feels all the feels, right? That worship leader. We like that guy. Meanwhile, uh, Moses, so, so this is Moses' sister. Meanwhile, he's got a brother, Moses' brother is Aaron, who's the high priest of all the people. So this is kind of a family ministry business here going on. Aaron is the high priest. He's the one who goes into the presence of God on the people's behalf. So, so we have here three siblings. They're well-known. The Israelites all know them. They're famous. They're highly respected. They're like the leaders of the revolution together here. But one day it tells us that Miriam and Aaron... Began to talk against Moses, big brother Moses, because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. The land of Cush is what we would think of today as modern Ethiopia. And so scholars today believe that Moses has married a a black woman, and his siblings have a problem with this, apparently. They have a problem. She is not one of their own, right? Praise God, after 3,000 years, we've gotten past all these racial issues, haven't we? Oh my goodness. No, so these are his closest family, but they're speaking out against him, but apparently not to his face. They're not doing it to his face. So they say this in verse 2, Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked. Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. And by the way, when you're grumbling and complaining, and and then a verse says, And the Lord heard this, things are not going to go well for you. (laughs) Probably. Now what's fascinating, if you look at this, look at the jump from... One to two, verse one to two. There's two verses right here. The first thing it says they've got a problem because he married a Cushite woman. But verse two reveals there's actually a lot of other stuff going on beneath the surface. There's some toxic stuff here happening. Issues of jealousy, of of privilege, of favoritism here. Why is, why is Moses the one? Doesn't God speak through all of us? Why is he the one in the forefront, right? So on your journey. You don't always know what tomorrow's going to look like, uh, where tomorrow's provision is going to come from, what direction you're going to be taking, what twists and turns life will take. And you don't always know what relationships in your life will morph from peace into turmoil. You don't know what friendship or partnership that you thought was solid is going to blow up in your face or just kind of fizzle out. You don't always know that. You don't always know what loved one may turn on you. What friend may let you down, may end up not having your back like you thought they would. Or what family member may, may, may sacrifice the relationship with you over political or religious ideology or something like that. What work colleague will stab you in the back at a strategic time at the office. There's no guarantees when it comes to relationships because relationships by definition are with other people. They're with other imperfect people. I'm an imperfect person and you are too. So there's no guarantees when it comes to relationship. For Moses, this is, there's very little in his life that is predictable day to day. There's very little that's consistent. Right? He, he's guiding people for an unknown number of, amount of time through a place that he's never been into a place he's never been. And things change on a daily basis. And it includes the relationships that he has with folks that he depends on. Turn uh, four chapters to the right in in Numbers chapter 16. Uh, If you're a leader like Moses, this is the worst possible scenario here. It says, one day Korah, son of Izar, son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and on son of Pilaf a man named On, became insolent and rose up against Moses. And with them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them and the Lord is with them. Why do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? It doesn't end up going well for these guys either, by the way, but you never know when the next attack is coming from, right? You don't know what bomb the next phone call or email is going to drop in your lap. How, how many have had these kind of experiences? How, how many of you have had the phone call? You've been on the phone and you're hearing so-and-so said, what? They said, what? I can't believe, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And you put down the phone and you're just like, no way, I can't believe this is happening. Or how many of you had that email, and it's like what so-and-so said or did, and you're like, I can't believe it. It, it feels like it comes out of left field. Deuteronomy 34, another book of the, the Torah that tells the story. And this is the very end of the story of Moses. Moses, whose life's purpose, remember, he's dedicated himself for the last 40 years, has been to lead his people into the promised land. This is what he's been doing. It says, then Moses climbed, uh, climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land, from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea So essentially, Moses is on a mountain, and from this high point, he can see across the border into the promised land that he has been headed for 40 years. He's been journeying his whole life toward this goal, leading these cranky, grumpy people toward their destiny, right? And then, verse 4, And then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, Moses, but you will not cross over into it. God says, you've been working for this for 40 years. You've gone through untold suffering to realize this dream of leading these people into their true homeland. And I'm showing it to you now because you're not actually going to set foot in it. Even the destiny that we assumed this whole thing is leading up to, the whole thing that we assumed was leading up to us, even our destiny is not in our hands. God says, someone else, Moses, will actually lead them in because your life, your mission is coming to an end right here. Um, so there's this common lie that we're told. The moment we're born, we buy into it, and it kind of is buried deep in our psyche. And so we we believe this lie all of our lives. We're fed it, and we believe it. It takes all sorts of forms, but we could maybe basically make sense of it like this, if you could graph it like this. We want to believe that life is a bit like an x-y graph. Forgive the algebra uh, flashbacks for some of you. We have this x-y graph here, right? And uh, basically, the lie is, if you do this, Life will go like this. And if you do this, the people you're with will do this. If you take this step, God will take this step. Uh, And if you just follow this course and follow this formula, then, of course, you'll be rewarded with a life full of that, right? Everything's up and to the right, baby, up and to the right. That's That's the lie we're told. You do this, and here's your outcomes, and it follows a really nice pattern there. That's how life's supposed to go. If you just take care of yourself, well, then you'll never find yourself sitting in a doctor's office hearing the word cancer. And if you're just a good parent and you love your kid and you raise them to love Jesus, of course, your kid will never run away. They'll never follow, you know, go in, follow some destructive path of life that breaks your heart. You know, if you just work hard, you do the right things, you, you do business with integrity, uh, your competitors will always respect you and, and they'll, they'll think you're wonderful. They'll never try to run you out of business. Your job will always be secure. You'll never be called into the boss's office when they're doing cutbacks. That'll never happen. The economy will never take a dip because we know the economy is very, very predictable, right? Everything will come up, up and to the right, baby, up and to the right, and your marriage, your marriage, if you, all you have to do is marry the right person, And, you know, maybe read a good self-help book every few years. Go to the right little seminar every once in a while. Your marriage will be everything you ever imagined, right? Even Dr. Phil will say, how do you do it? Because you you did all the right things, so everything's going to go up and to the right. And the truth is, that's just a lie, right? (laughs) Because it doesn't always go that way. Everybody agree? take care of your house, wrap your pipes, and your pipes will never burst. That's a lie. <laughs> I think I, that neighbor lied to me. In fact, even in Christian circles, see, we can, we can spread this lie when Jesus plainly prepares us for the life of faith, a life of faith in which is anything, anything but predictable. Jesus prepares us. And it's shocking how, how kind of warped some ideas about God are. And I believe it's because of our absolute addiction to control. We truly have an addiction to control. And so the ultimate lie is that, well, God is our genie. He's our, he's our house servant, right? If you do A, B, and C, God does e, D, E, and F. And everything's going to be hunky-dory. All you have to do is confess Jesus as your Savior and he'll make sure you never go through heartache, right? Because Jesus wants to insulate you from anything that would threaten your health, your wealth, or your happiness. And we pay, we'll pay through the nose for books or seminars of people who will feed us this lie because we do want to believe it. It's fun to hear, right? Right? The thing is, these aren't just harmless lies. These are deadly lies because people buy into them, and then what inevitably happens is is that we blame God. We blame God when life doesn't work out that way, or we feel all under condemnation because apparently we didn't do the right efforts. So we blame God or we blame ourselves. If If you just lead the people and do your best, Moses, you'll step into the promised land, and it doesn't work that way. God doesn't graph out my life for me like a financial advisor. My financial advisor tells me that's going to happen every time, and it never does, right? (laughs) Up and to the right. Here's the destination I'm taking you. I'm just going to tell you all the steps ahead of time. Just do the right things, and you'll have smooth sailing. Actually, what I've learned in this life, in these first 50 years I've experienced so far, is that the life of faith is God walking with me, It's about God walking beside me, the God who promised he will never leave me or forsake me. Mm. But he will also continually surprise me. How many times has God said, guess what? Scott, we're going in a new direction today. We're going in a new direction. Trust me. That's what he asks of me. And the truth is that life, when you look back on it, it looks a lot more like this. Kind of looks like a heart attack in progress, doesn't it? (laughs) Right we need everybody clear. Yeah. But this is life. It's not the safe, predictable algebraic equation that we predict, we pretend it's going to be. Now, this, it's unfortunate, but this should not come as any surprise to any New Testament Christian who's actually read the words of Jesus. If we've just read the words of Jesus, if we've looked at the lives of the apostles, this shouldn't come as a surprise if we've paid attention. The New Testament apostles, they, they gave up every shred of predictability to follow Jesus. They gave up the, the rhythms of being a fisherman, right, or a tent maker or something like that, or a farmer to be a fisherman of men, to follow Jesus. They lived on an eternal knife's edge, when you read their stories, they're very exciting stories, right? A good story looks more like that, <laughs> right? And they saw great miracles. They saw great miracles one minute, and then they would get beat and thrown in prison the next minute. They would experience the incredible, indescribable joy of having a meal together, meeting new brothers and sisters on, on all, all across the continent. And then the next day, they might find themselves being hung upside down on a cross, and for us today, walking in this life, giving up control and embracing faith, giving up control and embracing faith means living continually in that thrilling tension of the present moment. It's the tension of the present moment. Walking from one need to the next and experiencing God's miracles all along the way. That's the life of faith. That's a life. At the end, you go, oh, that's a story worth telling. That's a testimony, living testimonies, letting him lead you, no matter where it takes you, wherever it goes, from one miracle to the next. Jesus told us in one of his teachings, he said, there's not even a reason to worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have trouble itself. He said, don't worry about tomorrow, not because you've you've stored up enough manna to take care of it. No. He said, because when we walk that life of faith, we, we are aware of what God is doing right now in the present moment. Being a person of faith is being aware of what God is doing right now in the present moment. Living without fear, but what, what about tomorrow? And here's the thing, you never arrive at a place where you get to stop depending on God right? I think in the back of our mind, we kind of would like to kind of reach that place. I mean, this miracle life of faith is all great and all, but, you know, it's kind of given me the heart attack. I, I, I would like to reach that place where I don't have to depend on God, where I don't have to watch for the cloud or the fire for his leading. But you don't, you don't ever arrive there. If you do, if you arrive at the place where you're no longer having to depend daily on God, it means you're dead, right? <laughs> Welcome to the pearly gates, <laughs> So, so this Lenten season, is there any area where you've been trying to exert control and it's not working? Is there any person you've tried to make submit to your divinely orchestrated plan and for some reason they just won't listen? They will not follow your infinite wisdom. Is there some process or, or, or box that you're trying to cram the elements of your life into and it's not working. You're trying to cram people into it, and it's not working. And you're like, it's killing me, and it's killing them in the process. Is is there some stress or anxiety over your future? You need guarantees, and it's just not happening. And the truth is, you get enough manna, enough daily bread, enough guidance for the next right step. The next right step. Well, at the end of his life, Moses has undergone a real transformation. It's really amazing to watch what happens to him. If you remember, we we had a series a few years ago, we talked about Moses, I think it was a few years ago now, we talked about uh, Moses, the calling of Moses, and the burning bush, and all that, that interesting story there. He starts off, if you remember, 40 years before, 40 years, begging God to pick someone else to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt right? He he doesn't want to do, he, he doesn't want anything to do with this plan. He makes all kinds of excuses. He says, I'm a nobody. He says, they won't listen to me. I'm not a good public speaker. I stutter. And finally, he just says, I don't really care about them, right? And God says, you're the man, you're the plan. There is no plan B. It's you. Trust me that's what God calls Moses to do. Trust me for the next step. He doesn't tell him what the next 40 years are going to look like. He says, here's what I want you to go do right now. Here's what I want you to go do right now. Well, toward the end of his life, we see a very different kind of Moses. There is a moment where it turns out God has become so frustrated with the people that he's ready to wipe them out and start over. And Moses actually sticks up for them. Look at this. In verse, uh, chapter 32 of Exodus, verse 7, says, The Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have become corrupt. <laughs> this is hilarious, right? Up until, all up until now, every verse is, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out. Moses, take care of my people. All this. And now Moses is like my wife when I come home, and she's like, You take care of your son. I know. Uh-oh. There's been trouble. Because now God's like, these people have been sinning. These are your people, Moses. Whose idea was this? (laughs) I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses. They are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so my anger may burn against them and I can destroy them. (laughs) And then you notice verse 37. Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. You're right, God. I know it. They've made for themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, in other words, if you're, if you're not going to forgive them, if after everything we've been through, then blot me out of the book you have written. This is a euphemism for take my life instead. Take me instead. The story begins here with a shepherd who's like, hey, guess what? I don't care about your people, God right? I don't care about their suffering. They're all just a bunch of grumpy old coots to begin with. Get somebody else. That's Moses. 40 years later, by chapter 32, after Moses has journeyed with them, under protest at first, when God is so upset that he's ready to disown them, Moses defends them and offers his very life in their place. Moses goes from indifference to, I will give my life for these people. I personally believe that God knew this and that he was drawing this out of Moses, right? Because Moses has been transformed right down to the core because transformation has been the actual purpose of Moses' mission this whole time. Transformation, not arrival and getting to live in the promised land. Transformation has been the purpose of the process Transformation of the people of Israel. It took 40 years to turn them from slaves into sons and daughters of God. Transformation of Moses, to transform him from indifference into a person of love, into a person who would be willing to stand up and say, no, God, take me instead of them. So you cannot control the twists and turns that your life takes. You just can't. The attacks that come against you, what dreams are going to blow up in your face or fizzle out? Where exactly your next provision or direction will come from? You can't control that. But you can control this. You can control the kind of person you are becoming. Amen. The kind of person you're becoming. You can control what's going on in your heart. You can, what you allow God to mold and change in you, right? How much you are allowing God to transform you more and more into the person of Jesus, you can choose to move from indifference with people and all of your personal agendas. You can move from that to compassion with people, to love, which makes you look more and more like Jesus because that is what God is up to in each one of us. That's what he's up to. It's the only, and the only thing that stops him is us. The only thing that can get in the way is us. To God, far more important then the place you're going is the person you're becoming. Far more important. It's the person you're becoming. It's it's about who you are more than where you are to God. Your heart can go from being a hard heart to beating for the things that God's heart beats for. Well, there's one last moment in the story I want to shine a light on. It's in Exodus 13. This is a phrase that uh, I came across years ago just in reading, and it just jumped out, it grabbed my eyeballs, and it has never let me go because it is, oh, it means so much. Exodus 13, verse 17, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. It was the shorter route. If you looked at it on a map, there's a quick way to go from Egypt to Israel. They are next to each other, right? It's like walking to Mexico. It's, it's not hard. It's right there. But it goes through, the quickest way is to go through right along the Mediterranean Sea, which is now called the, the Gaza Strip. And that would have been a really easy way. It was the land of the Philistines. The straight shot. They didn't go that way. Why? Because it says that God knew that they would face war. They would have gotten scared. They would have run straight back into the arms of their Egyptian slave owners. They weren't, they didn't, their identity was not sons and daughters of the Most High God yet. It was still escaped slaves. So they took a longer route. How many of you read that and you're like, well, that's the story of my life. The longer route? Yeah. There's this sense that we often get that, man, my life could have been so much easier, but it hasn't gone that way. It it went a different way. Man, there's so many places where a straight shot would have saved so much time and heartache. And instead, life did this other thing. It twisted and curved and turned, and it's not what I planned. I think about my own life, uh, about the friendships and the partnerships and plans of the past that, that sort of faded away. I think about the number of one-year, five-year, ten-year plans Mel and I have come up with that just look hilarious now. Or my need to predict or have control over where provision would come from, what route I would take. And it just didn't go that way. And I see this winding road where sometimes it seems like, boy, there would have been a much, much shorter route God could have brought. Brought us on. And yet I have to admit I wouldn't be who I am today. And you wouldn't be who you are right now if you had taken the shorter route. It's all the twists and turns that have shaped you. Now, I'm not saying we never make mistakes that God didn't intend for us to do. You know, we, we, sometimes we go the longer route and it's our own doing. I, and I don't believe in glorifying mistakes. But I have learned that even in my missteps, my mistakes, my sins, God is able to redeem those seasons. He he can redeem the time. He can redeem the time. He lets nothing go to waste, if we'll let him, so so that we can learn from them and, and we don't repeat those mistakes. But here's the greater truth, guys. Let's just be really honest. Even if we're walking with God, even if you are doing all the right things and you're obeying his, his voice perfectly, his definition of your successful journey is not necessarily yours. And so the question is, am I responding and becoming the kind of person that God intends for me to be? Am I becoming that person? Because there's some things that you can only learn from the curves and the twists and the bends. Amen? Are you with me? There's some things, if everything was perfect and fine, we would never learn. Am I right? We would end up so shallow, so trite, and, and, and oblivious to some of the bigger issues. So God never guarantees us a predictable life. The only guarantee you get is that God will journey with you. God will journey with you. We have that assurance, and sometimes he says, no, I'm not going to clean that up for you. No, I'm not going to protect you from that inconvenience. Sometimes he says, no, I'm not going to spare you that, but I will walk with you. I will walk with you, and I promise all the while, if you trust me, I will transform you. Transformation should be our greatest craving not protection from inconvenience, transformation. Is there anybody you have been trying to mold into your image? Any relationship that's not going according to your divinely orchestrated plan? And it's time to surrender that person, to give them up, to give up control for Lent and say, God, I turn that person over to you. Is there any circumstance in your life that just seem, will not seem to... Submit to your will. Have you suffered unending anxiety about where provision is going to come from? And all you have is today. And how often have you tried to get God to just spell out the five-year plan? God, come on, I'm listening. Give me the five-year plan. And it's not happening. And it's causing you to live in this constant state of fear and frustration And condemnation, because maybe I'm not doing something right. He's not telling me the five-year plan. And the Spirit of God is inviting you to surrender it all. That's his answer. Surrender it all to walk in the freedom that is trusting God. Walk in the freedom of not being in charge, ultimate charge of your own life. There's a freedom in being a servant in the house of God. Because the house doesn't belong to you. There's a freedom in that. So when things happen, you get to say, all right, God, I know you're gonna take care of me. I know you're gonna show me the next right step. I don't have to have it all figured out. That is a great freedom. Maybe there's, maybe more than fasting bread or meat, we need to fast the fear of things being out of our control. Because when you discover that freedom, that freedom from control, the gift you get in return is the gift of peace, the gift of joy, which turns out to be so much better than the control. You're like, why did I ever crave the control before? It only comes from trusting in the God who intimately walks with you on every path you're on. I want to pray for us right now and me just invite you if you're here today and you would say, yeah, that's, that's me. I've got a lot of stuff and I'm, I'm feeling the stresses and I'm feeling the anxieties and I, I want to give it over to the Lord. Maybe you're somebody who would even say, I want to want to give it over to the Lord. Maybe I'm not even quite to, I don't feel like that step, but I want to take a step towards freedom from control. If that's you, I invite you to just stand up today. Just stand right where you're at. I'm going to pray and just say, yes, I'm ready to give over control. I'm ready to fast control for good, to give it to the Lord. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Dear God, Oh, we thank you today for reminding us that Jesus says, follow me. And he doesn't really give many more details after that. He gives us the next right step. Help us, Lord, I ask you. Lord, help us. Help us to recognize the voice of your Spirit leading us. Lord, help us to recognize what we can control and what we can't control. Help us to surrender those things to the God of the universe who knows what he's doing. Lord, may we allow you to mold us to shape us, to transform us into the person you're inviting us to become. May we become more impassioned about the person we're becoming than just the next place we're getting to. May we be a little more like Jesus every day. And every day, a little more, and a little more, and a little more. In his name we pray, amen 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 if you have anything that we can pray with you about today please let us know we want to pray with you it's not the same when we pray if you have something that uh going on in your life and you're like yeah i'm feeling a lot i'm feeling a little out of control in these areas and you need the peace of god you just need to know that god has your back he's got your back your front your side to side and he has a plan that he knows everything happening before you do. If you need to have someone just stand with you in faith and pray for his guidance, maybe you need leading. Maybe you need, I need to hear the voice of God a little better. Maybe I don't know how to hear the voice of God or follow his leading. If you need that, let us know. You can send us a prayer request. You can do it electronically, or you can join us right down front here. Pastor Albert will be down here, and he would love to pray with you face to face. Anything going on in your life, if you need God to, to heal you, to minister to you, Whatever it is, he loves you. You have a good, good father who loves you. He loves you. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. Will you stand to your feet with me? Let this 50-year-old speak a benediction over you today. Hallelujah. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace in this day of chaos that we live in grace and peace be to you, my friends. Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, sir.